Would you be on the treadmill for something like that? If I was on the treadmill for th- 12 minutes, <laughs> way too long. Way too long. Did you fall off? Did someone have to get you? No, I just, I kept running and like I just, my VO2 didn't improve. I ran like three more stages after my VO2 plateaued. Did mm. you remember that or did you black out? No, I, I was fine. I, I could have gone a whole other stage, but my VO2 wasn't changing. So I was like, all right, I've maxed out my potential here. What, right. what, was, what was the VO2? 51.83. And that's like about like third grade level, right? Yeah, third grade level. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's down. It's down ten from when my playing days. I was like sixty two when I was playing. Yeah, pre dad bod. Yeah, pre dad bod. Now. <laughs> All right. Well, how about we kick this show off, Somo? All right. All right. Everyone, welcome to episode twenty two of the Strength Ratio Podcast. I'm Zachary Greenwald here with Kyle Klachenko. My dog Dexter is here as well, and guess who's back? Back again. Eric Sobolisky. The crew's back. The crew's back. Back in town. Becca. We got to get Becca back. Yeah. yeah. Has Becca – Becca's still not coming back. We scared her off. Well, no. She'll, she'll, she'll make an appearance. Um, uh, she, she is due. Uh, but today, we are talking about power, and we're talking about speed development, and I feel like on the whole – Maybe outside of endurance training, you just don't really hear a lot about how to train it well. You don't hear about exactly what it even is. It's like this thing that you know involves you moving fast, but you really might not know how to implement it into a training program. So, so do you want to start us off with what – uh, power is just a, a, a your definition uh, and what power is and then separately what speed is um okay so basically power in general is the ability to move heavy loads fast so you it's it, there's kind of a, a, a sweet spot in training that is you're powerful because you're moving a moderately heavy load and you're moving that as fast as you possibly can, which if you look at an inverted, you know, U, which are, you know, a bell curve, it's kind of that peak in the middle. If you, if you go, if the weight's too light, you move it really fast, but the weight's light. So you don't produce a lot of power. If the weight's really heavy, you move it really slow and you don't produce a lot of power. So there's kind of this, this, you know, biomechanical sweet spot of where you're the most powerful at what may, weight can you move the fastest and the most efficient? That's when you're the most powerful. And that's kind of the, the standard curve idea for, you know, biomechanics and physiologies is this, what weight can you move the fastest? And in physiology, we simply measure this, you know, by vertical jump and how fast can you move your body in a vertical jump? We can account for gravity of 9.81 meters per second squared, and we can take your height and figure out how powerful you are based on you fighting gravity and the velocity it's going to take for you to jump, you know, 24 inches. So power itself is in, in the performance realm is how well can you move your body weight in an explosive manner? And explosive is not speed. Explosive is, is quick bursts. How fast can you move yourself from point A to point B and point A to point B is not you know, 25 meters, it's two meters, it's six meters, it's a vertical jump, it's a broad jump, it's a lateral skater hop. It's that kind of power that when we think about power, short, quick bursts of excessive energy. So shot putters, you know, high jumpers, those are power 
movements, cleans, snatches, power movements. And when we talk about speed, that is, you know, power over a long period of time, yet at a faster rate than we, we do with a heavier load. So there's kind of a, an idea of you got to, you know, we talk about power athletes and we talk about speed athletes. There's, there's kind of a, a difference between the two that we don't really differentiate and we especially get it wrong in weightlifting because we call, you know, I'm a, a power lifter. In reality, you're not a power lifter. You lift an object really slow. It's a lot of weight. Power lifters are actually, you know, Olympic weightlifters, right? They have to be powerful, move weight fast and rapidly and dynamically as quick as possible. So you got to take it into different accounts of what power is to, you know, an athlete and what power is to the general definition of power. Gotcha. I can see that uh, being like a weightlifters t-shirt is that we're the real power lifters. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you, you're saying that speed and power one and the same or slightly different it just depends on how you're, how you're using it or, or in what setting you're talking about. Uh, slightly different. I mean, there's subtle nuances and I think a lot of coaches mix the two together and they'll talk about being powerful and, and very fast with velocity. Um, if you want to be really fast and you want to have a lot of speed, you reduce the weight. I can, I can throw a three pound ball farther than I can throw a 30 pound ball. And in order to throw it farther, I need to create more velocity, but I'm going to generate more power with a 20 pound ball than a three pound ball, right? Go out and do a overhead med ball throw, throw a three pound ball. You're chucking that thing 30 yards, do it with 20 pounds. You might be chucking at 10 yards. You might have, so is it, Go ahead. Is it that you're looking at different outcomes? One is how fast you're moving an external load. Uh, the other is the velocity with which you're moving a load. Well, it kind of, no, it's kind of more of, of of the the velocity you're moving the load in a short amount of time with power, because power, you know, is is, gotcha. is the long over a longer period of time, power is diminished. So they're, they're kind of related power. You can't have speed without being powerful, but you, you can have, you can, you can be powerful without having excessive amounts of speed, but you still need, if there's a relationship between power and speed, which gives you the outcome. Okay. So what is the history of training for power slash speed? We'll just say power for sake of ease for the podcast, but what is the, the history of training uh, for power? Uh, did it come from observations in weightlifters um is it did it come from observations in track and field athletes like shot put athletes what are its origins and how has it evolved it it started probably mainly from olympic lifting because the the goal to olympic lifting is to pull yourself under the bar as fast as you can so there's there is this finite time frame like if if you could do a clean slow with heavy weight why would not everybody do it slow so mm -hmm. there's this, this idea that, you know, with weightlifting, you have to be powerful because you cannot move a heavy weight fast. And when you're fighting gravity and you pull the bar and you got to pull yourself under your times, times a huge issue. So power is specifically related to time. And so we looked at, okay, how can we make you more powerful so that in that, you know, 10 millisecond window, you can generate more force than somebody else. But if I take that same window and extend it to two seconds, you might be able to produce more force in two seconds because you have a lot more time to pull an object. So think about if you look at a power lifter, you know, that does a heavy deadlift, could be deadlifting 700 pounds, but that looks slow. If you do take just the deadlift portion of a clean 
that is a very fast movement. So mm-hmm. you, there's kind of this idea that when time is a factor, power is important. So mainly weight, Olympic weightlifting, and then comes into sports with shot, put, disc, high jump, long jump, any type of explosive movement, vertical jump, broad jump, where time is your enemy. So you want to be able to generate as force as, force as fast as you can in a short amount of time. So it kind of started there, like what sports have a time domain that, you know, we're limited to either by gravity or the sport itself. And then how can we make you more explosive during that time? So it, it has a kind of a two double-edged sword that we can't train just being powerful all the time. You can, um, it's not as effective. So you actually got to chain, train the whole spectrum. So you got to train heavyweight slow to develop that absolute strength. And then you got to train light weights fast to train the higher end. So you get used to moving fast and then you train in the middle to move moderately heavy loads as fast as you can. And that curve, if you look at the inverted U is different for everybody. I may be able to move 110 pounds, you know, at 1.3 meters per second squared, and you might be able to move it at 1.8. So you're more powerful at that, but I actually might be stronger and be able to, you know, move, you know, 500 pounds and you can only do 480. So there is a relationship between power, speed, and like absolute strength, but it, that curve is different for, for each person and different athletes. There's a lot of athletes who are really powerful with their body weight or with lighter weight that can't lift heavy, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of basketball players who have really good vertical jumps who can jump really high, but you put a bar on their back and they can't squat 250 pounds, but they're powerful in that domain. So their curve, and there's a lot of of literature out there on this, that the curve's different for everybody. And sports look the same. I mean, most weightlifters have a very similar curve. Most powerlifters have a similar curve, but powerlifters and weightlifters, their curves don't look the same. So mm-hmm. it all just depends on your output and your, and your, you know, desired outcome. So it seems, um, do you want to, I was just going to say that, and that curve is, uh, called the for- force velocity curve. Yep. Correct? Yeah. The force velocity curve. Yep. So force over force over time basically is what you're looking at. And then, uh, you answered this a little bit in that explanation right there, but, um, I was just wondering if you could talk about kind of like limiters of power. So I feel like a misconception, especially in, uh, youth athletic development, we talked about this a little bit and I can't remember what episode number it was, uh, is that because in team sports, um, power is seen as like explosiveness and the kids being fast or being more athletic, they tend to train uh, train that first before potentially building some of these other areas of the force velocity curve. So when we're, when we're looking at specifically the youth and think about the domain they can train in and domain they live in with, you know, talk about they're, they're, they're naturally, you know, moving their body weight and, you know, to have a kid do high speed movement. When you start doing high speed movement, it takes a great deal of, you know, technical skill. Um, so really with the youth, your your best bang for your buck is to develop kind of that, the slower speed and work on the strength because, you know, what's, you know, a kid's never going to do, and you should probably never do over speed training and, you know, band assisted work with a 10 year old. I mean, that's more of a, a higher end, you know, work with, you know, trained athletes, not the youth. So if you talk about doing over speed work on that higher speed, lower force pendulum, 
youth athletes, I would, I would recommend, and people may argue against this, but I would recommend if you're going to do try working on the strength or power through body weight. So, you know, your jumps, your body weight squats, your push-ups, get used to moving your body weight at a fast movement before you try to do over speed training. I know a lot of, you know, gyms around the country, especially performance gyms have high speed treadmills and they have these, you know, 10, 11 year olds running at 17 miles an hour. In fact, I went to one of those gyms when I was younger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but fortunately, the one I went to also had a a pretty good strength coach there. And uh, I actually like the strength training more than the the other stuff. So I was lucky in that I did a lot of that paired with like once a week of the overspeed stuff. Uh, Well, so if I can ask you, you mentioned that there's a lot of uh, skill required uh, to perform power training effectively. Is that simply because the duration is so short that you have to be so spot on? Like in in a sense that uh, a bodybuilder wants to be so skilled in their technique so as to hit the desired muscle groups, someone who's training power has to have the skill so down pat because they only have such a short time to perform it yeah and too with with either short time and the the technical aspect of once you start doing powerful movements at high speeds if your form is not you know good or, or, or great your likelihood of injury goes up i mean anytime you increase the intensity of something the likelihood of injury goes up i mean you've you know if you fall on a treadmill going 18 miles an hour it's going to hurt um, if you are doing, you know, really ballistic movement with a, a vertical jump and you come down wrong, you know, yeah, on your ankle or whatever. I mean, there's just kind of a risk to reward ratio with, with extreme power and speed training. Um, so your, your best bang for your buck is that, that heavier weight, um, you know, lower, you know, speed, I guess, if you will, lower velocity, but yet a lot of studies have shown and, um, this is you know counterintuitive that heavier weights like heavy sled pushes actually increase that explosive force because if you're stronger and now you can push a 400 pound sled and now you're only pushing your body weight the body weight's going to feel lighter so in effect you're kind of doing speed training with your body weight after you've done heavy sled pushes so you do kind of balance that out if all you ever did was heavy sled pushes you're probably not going to be very fast but if you do heavy sled pushes is working that that slow velocity, heavy load. And then you do, you know, basically it's almost feels like a deload when you actually run with no weight or push no weight, you're actually doing kind of an over speed, if you will, without actually running on a treadmill at 18 miles an hour. And in terms of structure for something like that throughout the year, the kind of the heavy sleds would make more sense farther away from the season. And then the, the body, more the body weight stuff closer to the season, because that's actually how you're playing. Correct. Yeah. So you can, I mean, if you think, you know, out of season sled pushes are key and you can you can you can incorporate that but i mean heavy sled pushes are going to fatigue you so if you're doing sport specific or power specific stuff and you've just done a heavy sled push or a heavy heavy workout your speed is not going to be as mm-hmm. there so right the old saying is if you want to get faster the best way to get faster is to run fast so if you're mm-hmm. if you're trying to you just got done pushing a heavy sled and then you're going to go out and do flying 40s or something you know, your, your legs aren't going to be able to do it as fast. So you're not running as fast. And so you're not training at that high velocity and therefore you're not getting the gain. So it takes kind of a, a, a trained eye. You can do it. And I know, especially a lot of track coaches who still push sleds. If they have a track meet on Saturday or Friday, they'll push sleds on Monday because they know that they have enough time for them to recover. They can do their speed work on Wednesday and Thursday 
and then Friday and Saturday they can they can do you know track workouts or track meets. So you can fit it in all season, but you got to understand that it's a high high load, high strain on the body. Yet you're not training specifically for speed at that time. So you 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 can use it. I you can push sleds year round, but you just can't. You know when you do like pushing sleds and then you start puking, probably not the best to do in season. You know I, I think uh, there's this type of athleticism that I associate with uh, athletes who've had a team sport background, who then perhaps go into weightlifting, powerlifting, or CrossFit. They just seem to stand out more so than other athletes do. Like they, they just move either more explosively or they move more quickly or they just have maybe not in the sense that a gymnast would, but they just seem to have um, a, a certain sense of athleticism. Uh, do you feel so that people who haven't had team sports type training or power training are less inclined to get into it? Uh, not simply out of just not knowing how to do it, but just because they might not uh, enjoy it or appreciate what it could give them. Have you ever experienced this or kind of know where I'm going with this? Yeah. So I think you're, you're trying to talk like, you know, if you're a team sport athlete, you seem to, you seem to pick up and adapt better to yeah. power lifting or, or lifting than you would if you try to go the other way. Yeah. And I, I think that that is a huge developmental thing. And if we, you know, we could talk all about long-term athletic development, but you, once you've once you've kind of put yourself in a, a hole of I'm going to be a lifter, you've developed that motor program and you've developed, you know, I can do sagittal plane movement with a squat and a deadlift and a bench press, or you know, and just I can do those really well. And when you comes for you to go out and play basketball or you know go to the you know YMCA or local rec center and you know, play a pickup game of basketball and you look like you're good, like, you know, a T-Rex out there running around. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just a developmental issue. So if you, if, if you're not good at it, you're not going to voluntarily put yourself in that position, right? So if you're, if you've been a weightlifter your whole life and you want to go out and try to play basketball and you go play basketball and you're not very good, you're not going to want to go practice that every day. So it's kind of a, you know, psychological and a, like a athletic development. I think, especially if you look at the literature with the kids nowadays, you can lift weights with them, but a lot of them, you just got to let them play, you know, you got yeah. to let them have fun. And I've seen tons of workout videos where kids are, you know, squatting, deadlifting, and then they're playing like high intensity tag, you know, mm -hmm. just, to, just to work on agility. And, you know, they put them in a little box in the gym and they make them play like tag with their left hand. And what, you know, what if uh, the CrossFit Games did that as an event? Ooh, that would be awesome. Well, you, you've seen CrossFitters run. I mean, some of them can run really <laughs> yeah. well, and some of them, it's just painful. Um, to, our, to our CrossFitters listening, they um, <laughs> that, that might have seemed harsh, but... Uh, well, I mean, if you weren't, if you, if you, you know... <laughs> so, I love you. That was awesome. <laughs> I mean, if, if you were an athlete, you know, think about Rich Froning, who was a baseball player, and then... Um, became a you know crossfitter i mean he had that he's you know running bases and playing the outfield he has that skill but if, yeah. if, if you know if you're a weightlifter for your whole life and then you decide to go run i mean that was that was um Frazier. fraser's big downfall was he couldn't run i mean if you talk to him about his programming from you know his first games to now i mean you can tell he's he's really worked on his running and his fitness as far as that goes and, and for most of us that's not fun i mean i've seen videos of him going out and and doing, you know, 400 repeats and just hating life. Oh, yeah. And 
<laughs> you know, most of us, if somebody said, you know, if you want to get better at basketball, you got to go play basketball and it's going to suck. You're probably not going to go play basketball. So there's kind of a, a motivation and a skill set that we either have or have not developed. And if we haven't developed, it's not very fun to go out and try doing it, but it's easier if you have a higher skill set, like sports, team sports, and, you know, gymnastics is an individual sport. Like, and then you try to come to a, you know, a very structured single plane movement sport you can you can pick it up easier rather than trying to go the other way especially if you do it older now when you look at our abc model do do does power training have different considerations than endurance training or strength training when it comes to where you prioritize it in the model how often you train it and where it might uh fit in a larger mesocycle relative to an event so if you had i i could say i would say and just based off the abc model this would cut you i would i would put power as a category b so they'd be in a b and the b's it's not extreme heavy lifting but it's it's moderate loads with the purpose of moving it fast um so it could be your 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 b days and that your b days in the gym and your b days on the track or on the field and you know just like you know, you don't want to do two A days in a row. You can, you don't want to do two very specific B days in a row, but you know, when I say specific, if you look on one day, work on your vertical power and the other one day work on your pressing power, those are two power days, but completely different, you know, exercises. So, you know, get a little creative with that. But I, I think you need to work on, especially with this, you know, conjugate method and, you know, being able to do everything. I mean, you need to work on your power at least once a week. So you need at least a B day in there that, is power specific moving loads fast olympic weightlifters don't really have a problem with this because a lot of their goals is to move heavy lifts heavy loads fast some of us you know go to a, a normal gym and your three sets of six or three sets of four are not fast and and these aren't we're not doing you know sets of 12 with with power it's it's three or four um, um a lot of it is you can look at they have you know apps on your phone now you can get little gym senseis or bar senseis and put on and, and calculate all this. And you type in your weight. And I think there's some cameras on your phone now that can pick this up and tell you how fast you move the bar. And if you put in the weight, they'll tell you how powerful you are. And you can do, you know, velocity based training. Um, probably a lot of people have heard of that, but it's, it's training at a certain threshold. So you don't have reps and sets. You train for a certain velocity. So if I'm doing a, a squat, I want to move the bar at 1.3 meters per second. And I do, as many squats as I can, as long as I am above 1.3. And as soon as I drop below 1.3, I'm done. So I do my first rep. It's 1.4. Second one is 1.38, then 1.31, and then 1.29. Then I'm done. So I did a set of four or five. And then next set, I have the same weight. I might do four sets. I might do four reps or I might do three. And it's kind of just make sure that you're maintaining that power, even with fatigue. And that's kind of an advanced of the Australians love the velocity based training. We really don't hear a lot about that in the States. Is that because of the sports that they might play? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of developed in rugby. A lot of the Australians love rugby where, you know, in, in their terms, it's a very powerful sport, a very explosive sport. So they want to train that way. Um, uh -huh. It hasn't really caught on traditionally in American football um, to be velocity-based training. It takes, you know, you need a gym aware, a Tendo or, you know, an app on your phone. And it takes a little more setup than just grabbing a bar and putting 20 pound, 25 pounds on it and repping it. Um but you can also do this subjectively too on a kind of a, a smaller note. Like you move the bar and once you feel the bar is not moving very fast anymore, you just rack it. 
So if you can kind of mm-hmm. fill the weight, you're like, wow, I'd, that step four squat was really slow. It was a grinder. Then you're done. So you can kind of say, or you can do it like a tempo, right? I love, I love phones. You know, time is, is constant. So if you set your phone to a timer and you have a, I have, I have an interval timer on my phone and I can set it to, I go down on a beep and I go up on a beep. And if I can't meet, if I can't match that beep up, then I'm done. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can, you can figure it out with some math, how fast, you know, 1.3 meters per second is, or however you want to look at velocity and say, okay, I have three seconds down and I hear the beep and I got to come up and you time it. So you have a nice, you know, whatever tempo and the tempo is your speed. So as long as I can beat the beep up, I'm fine. As soon as the beep gets me, I'm, I'm done. So in that way, it's like a form of not just reps in reserve, but almost like a form of biofeedback, yeah. right? It, cool. That, that's really interesting. Yeah, I don't, I've, I've done it a few, I've done it actually quite a bit with some of my work, but it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, to keep a pace, you're like, oh, I can do 225 back squat. I could do eight, you know, and in, in a two second lift, right? No big deal. I'll, I'll set my timer to have my, my contraction be two seconds. And next thing you know, I did like three and I'm like, I can't match the speed anymore. I can't, st- uh-huh. I can't stand up as fast. And like you said before, you have to move fast to be fast. So there's no purpose in continuing to train for those purposes yeah, or there's no purpose in continuing to train when moving slow. Yeah, If you're training for power, I mean, if you're training for power, once you start moving slow, you're, you're not training for power anymore. So you don't hit that beep. You don't hit that 1.3 meters per second. You're done. Cause now you're moving slow. Mm. And, um, so, but could you speak to the importance of like being able to re repeat a high power efforts? Cause I feel like people, when they think about power, they think of like one all out uh, instance, or it's just like one vertical jump. Uh, but it's actually really important to be able to repeat that multiple times in a row in sports, even in things like CrossFit and such. Correct? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, outside of powerlifting, Olympic lifting, there's not just one, ex- or maybe shot putting or javelin or something, but you know, high jump. But do you you have to repeat soccer? You got to repeat multiple bouts of sprinting, multiple jumping, volleyball. You got to jump you know, 30 times a game at least, or a set at least in, you know, football, every play, you got to be powerful. So I don't, I don't think it as, 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 as a topic as most people kind of avoid is this power endurance idea. We talk about muscular endurance, but we don't talk about how well can you maintain that, that speed or that power over a course of time. Some people call it um, uh, sprint speed repeatability. Um, I don't care how fast your first sprint is, how fast is your last. It's going to, you know, that could tell you a lot. So, you know, and you, and you get into, you know, different mechanisms and ideas of how people are, are built. People who are, you know, kind of slower twitch will have, you know, really low peak forces, but they'll be able to maintain that peak force over multiple times. Or you could have somebody who is really strong and after their third rep is done. And for most athletics, you want to be kind of in the middle ground. You want to be powerful, but you have power endurance. You want to be able to, to, you know, do a, do a, you know, a jump or a press or, you know, a block or something and do that, you know, 86 times a football game rather than just once, right. You, you make one big play, you blow off the ball, make a sack, but then you're done the rest of the game. You're really not a, 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 you know, use to your team, but you know, in, in, in a deadlift, you can go out there and pull really hard and set a PR and then you're done with a deadlift for you know the day. So, this it's it's different for sport to sport. Um, I know that um, Louis Simmons has kind of a power. You know, he does it with his speed days because he he wants to train. He wants to train the whole curve, so he he has his dynamic days and stuff. So it, there is a there's a place for speed and power training in, in all sports, but the sports that utilize it the most are probably you know your team or your you know athletic 
traditional athletic sports. So speaking of team sports with, and, and having been uh, not just a mad scientist, or, or well, you are a mad scientist now, but before you, you were, you decided to go down this, this dark path, you, you were uh, in the strength room. And what was your, what was your philosophy given the time you had per session with each team on developing an adequate technique to perform a given power task relative to what might be just simply safe to perform any task at all. So, you know, you once said, it's funny that people think CrossFit safe or dangerous rather. And then you sent me a link to these division one weight rooms of people performing power cleans and power like movements with just atrocious technique, like really acclaimed institutions. Uh, and, and the movement looks like garbage. Yeah. I, it, there's, you know, there's good coaches and bad coaches in all professions. And, you know, when I taught, you know, and this proficiency of movement is kind of what I liked and to say and do, if you can't, if you can't control the bar with, you know, 135 on a bench press if you're a football player that should be easy if you can't control that i mean i'm not going to tell you to you know put 185 on and go as hard as you can i mean so you you need a you need a basic level of proficiency in every lift and and some coaches are really great on this like i i've known coaches and i worked with one um who's now at jacksonville jaguars coach milo and he if you had bad form Soon as your form broke, he you were done. You could you could squat six hundred pounds, but if you did, couldn't squat two twenty five right, he would not let you go above two twenty five. So, and he was I mean he was a stickler. I mean the guys when he got first got hired at, at UNC when I was there with him, the guys hated him because all of a sudden their maxes. You know, I'm, I'm a six hundred pound squatter, and he's like, no, you're you're a three hundred pound squatter. And <laughs> they hated it. I mean, he made him go to parallel. He made him have perfect form. Soon as their back you know started to break, he's like, you're done. I'm not letting you like grind through and do a horrible work. And he was all about that. Well, other coaches and, you know, and it could be the pressure on them. It could be, I don't care what you do, just get the weight up. Right. I want, I want to see, you know, I want to go tell the head football coach, the head basketball coach. I just had a guy bench press 280 or, you know, deadlift 700 pounds. So, you know, there's kind of a pressure there. It could be, you know, lack of education, lack of knowledge, or some of them just, you know, just plainly just doesn't, they're not worried about technique. Right. So, and it, and, it, and it depends. I would caution that if you are a trainer of the youth to make them learn proper technique before anything, do not, you know, weights and progression is nice, but I mean, fundamental drill, you know, get a, you know, a, a PVC pipe and just drill in, you know, basic movement patterns before, you know, when I was working as a college coach, they, the worst thing you did is you bring a kid in who had horrible clean technique in high school because his coach was all about strength and mm-hmm. to try to reteach them how to do a clean was, it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, it was the, yeah. and you're like, this is not worth my time. I'm spending, you know, my whole day just teaching them how to move a bar, you know, or a PVC pipe and we should be really doing other work. And that's probably why a lot of strength coaches, the newer ones have moved away from Olympic lifting because it's just so hard to teach and to be a good you know, disciple of it. That you bring in, you know, thirty guys every year. Fifteen may have had some background in it. Some may have a lo- really good background. Some may have a bad background. Some may have never lifted before. And you know, how do I teach? You know, 
30 new guys how to clean properly in, you know, four weeks before the season starts. So a lot of strength coaches have, you know, gotten away from it, done kettlebells, try to figure out other ways to do triple extension, kettlebells, jammer machines, just basic squats. So trap bar, trap bar deadlifts. So <laughs> if there's a whole, you know, kind of a, an idea of, you know, best bang for your buck. And, mm-hmm. you know, for most sport coaches, Olympic lifting is tough. And if you don't want to teach it, you don't want to be, you know, uh, you know, disciplined with it. It's, you know, you're probably could cause more harm than good, especially with heavier weights. Yeah. We were just talking, we were actually filming this a week early. It wasn't long ago that we were just talking about, uh, muscular symmetry. And, uh, you know, you, you sometimes see with strength and power, a lot of these athletes have some weird stuff going on in their, in their technique, but they still get the job done and how, uh, you know, a, a lot of these, um, kind of uh, aesthetically uh, quirky things that you see or aesthetically unpleasing things you see with power sports could just have been improved upon with like a more solid foundation or if people claim to have these muscular imbalances uh, it just could so easily have been improved upon in those early youthful days of training yeah I'm most definitely with 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 huge muscle imbalances. I mean, all of us have some form of small asymmetries, mm-hmm. but, yeah, that's what you know, said, but, yeah. but with yeah. people who have, you know, they squat and it looks like one leg staying straight and the other one's bending a lot, <laughs> um, you know, or stuff like that, that, that should be yeah. corrected by a good coach early in the training program. Even if we're not talking like early in life. I mean, if you're a 35 year old, you know, person walking into a CrossFit gym and they tell you to do a, you know, a snatch and you can't even get your shoulders in the right position the bad thing would be to be like, all right, let's do a, you know, a, a Metcon of snatching, you know? So <laughs> yeah, we're, we're chuckling, but like, yeah. And, and that, that's where you have to, I think, go back to your own core principles, which are hopefully in line with some of what we're talking about. And, and CrossFit even does a preach, uh, you know, I, I forget exactly the diction they use, but they preach, uh, mechanics over intensity it's just that is it being reflected in your gym's programming I think that's just an honest question that you have to ask yourself um, well one thing kind of moving moving forward so but with power is there don't forget about speed speed, uh, speed. <laughs> uh, are there let's just say uh, you know, given the nature of off seasons or if you're doing a concurrent training plan where there are multiple fitness characteristics what do the rates of decay look like with power training where if for whatever reason your upcoming event doesn't have much power training in it or you're looking to get into more endurance events as like your your uh, number one priorities where your A's and B's and C's maybe shift a little bit, is there a certain rate of decay that power has that's different than strength or endurance that we might want to be aware of so that we can do just maybe like the bare minimum of work? I know you'd mentioned once a week, but maybe you can speak a little bit more on that. So what, one of the great things about power is its relation to force over time. So so when you think, when you, think you know, if I'm going to do more of a strength program, you're still working power in there, just not specifically power. So power benefits from all work, um, even if you don't target specifically, right? Um, I was once told by an old strength coach that every lift you do should have the intent of moving it fast. The goal, the goal mm-hmm. is not to get underneath the bar and say, I'm going to move this as slow as I can right now. I mean, you should try to do every lift as fast as you can. And as long as you have that intent, there's a neural drive that will elicit 
a velocity response and it may not be the most powerful response, but it's still, you're doing a maximal velocity contraction at that weight. So as long as that's still your intent, right, you know, you can go under a bar and, you know, do, do a set of 15 for, for endurance training. But if your first five are really fast and then your last 10 are pretty slow, you still got a little bit of power training in that first five. It's not ideal because you, Mm -hmm. you know, you still are fatiguing but you still got a little bit of power training. So great thing about power training is you could sneak it in, you know, without actually, you know, having a power block. I'm, this is going to be my power day. I could do my goals to do the first, you know, five as hard as I can. I'll grind through the next two or the next three. Gotcha. So it's really cool how you can kind of sneak it in as long as your intent is there. And that's the big thing is you squat. Are you, when you're squatting or deadlifting, are you thinking, can I move this bar faster? Or is it just, can I get this weight up? Cause if you're and, and, go ahead. Oh, no, there, there have ramif- uh, there have been uh, studies that have shown ramifications uh, for strength, and I believe in hypertrophy adaptations just with that con- uh, fast concentric intent. Yeah, the right? intent to move. I think Andy Fry out of Kansas has a couple of studies that says the intent to move is actually more important than the actual weight being lifted. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you train with 110 pounds or 120. And you just, the 120, you just move it, whatever you want to move it at. And the 110, you move with the intent to fast, move fast, then you're, you're going to be more powerful and you actually get stronger too, if that intent is there. And it's hard. I mean, mentally, you know, your intent to move and you're grinding through sets and you're doing set of eight, you know, last thing you want to do is I'm going to go really hard for the first four and then grind through my last four. You're, you're, you're like, hey, let's preserve myself. Let's do the first few pretty easy and then I'll be able uh-huh. to make it. So the intent is, is key to what your strength or your power output is going to be. So if you're worried about power, but you're, you know, doing volume, then you can still sneak it in there pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, one thing I wanted to ask, cause I, we have talked a lot about power with speed is what would be, it's like relative importance for things like power lifting. I know you said for weightlifting, you want to try to get on a, underneath the bar as fast as possible, but also CrossFit and endurance and training. Is it, is it, should it be in there to some extent, like you said, power should, or kind of how would speed fit in there? So with CrossFit, particularly speed is not, I wouldn't say is as important because there's not, I mean, speed, if you're you know, doing some, you know, Olympic lifting, you want to be able to get under the bar fast, but overall speed itself, like, you know, high, low vault, low weight, high, you know, speed reps really mm-hmm. aren't going to help you too much as far as your performance because you know we're not none of i've never seen a crossfit event what is um who can move the bar the fastest right so that for a crossfitter is 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 probably you're not getting the best bang for your buck you probably just train straight power and not worry about speed you know i never seen you know in my you know years of looking at crossfit programs that anybody's ever used band assisted squats and band assisted you know push press in uh crossfit program you you, you'd be surprised so we're seeing seeing, you're seeing some of that stuff out there i don't know unfortunately for the wrong population yeah and i don't know if they know that if they know what they're doing yeah (laughs) this looks cool yeah so it does it's one of those things like you know it might look intriguing but i don't think people know what they're what what tools they're playing yeah they're just they've seen it and a band looks cool and it makes you move the bar fast and you can put 400 pounds on and still make it move you know it feels like 220 so if People are listening right now. They might be thinking, "Okay, well, you have these things that are seemingly similar. Uh, they're at the very least uh, something that we can talk about 
in the same breath, though there might be nuance. Can you give examples of like what sets and reps might look like for speed versus power? Is it that kind of nuance we're talking about, or is what we're talking about in terms of nuance more physiological? So, or the the weight, as or, well. or, or the load. Okay, yeah. so that, that's that's a really great question. Actually, the there is huge nuances with speed training. So, like I said earlier, if your intent is to move fast and you're moving fast, once you move slow, you're no longer training at high speed. So, you, when you're talking true speed work. You're talking one to three reps. That's it. So you're not, this is not, you know, I'm going to run, you know, sprints, 15 of them. Like if you really want to work on your speed, you build up, do your workout, and then you do, or you do a little warm up, and then you hit, you know, three really good sprints or three really fast movement, and you're done. Like if anybody's ever watched the documentary on Hussein Bolt, um, it's pretty funny, but it's actually, he kind of talks about his training. There's, there's days where he'll run three 60-yard sprints, and that's his workout for the day. But those three 60-yard sprints are at 100% max speed, max effort. So it, it has less to do with, although I have fatigability is, is certainly a consideration uh, perhaps in, in the larger plan, but is this just what you guys are talking about with that repeatability aspect? That it's just, it's gone once yeah, it's gone. Yeah, I mean, once you're no longer fast, what and you're training for speed, what's the point of running slower? Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's yeah. specificity. Well, I know I've yeah I've heard that speed training is uh, the most affected by fatigue, and it needs to be at like like you should basically have zero fatigue when it happens, mm. and it also speed training decays very fast across a year because it's so specific. Oh yeah, you, when, if you're you know if I, you think combine NFL combine that just ended last month. Those guys, when I worked with my combine guys, I didn't do speed training until three weeks out. Yeah. Wow. Did you have any guys this year? I didn't year? have any guys this year. I didn't have any. Uh, yeah, no, no guys this year. But they're, you know, I, I've, I've had, a, you know, six foot four, 315 pound lineman go sub five. And we didn't run 40s till the last three weeks of training. And yeah. It, so, so can, but you weren't doing much else at this point, correct? What do you mean much else? Uh, like you weren't at, at that point in training because sure. it was – so like you're really training for speed there. You weren't doing like a lot of squats and all that. Oh no, yeah, we weren't. We weren't loading the bot. I mean, they were, when they ran their forties, they were running them fresh. I mean, they weren't yeah. like you know their legs weren't tired. We weren't squatting them anymore. We were we were still squatting them a little bit, but it was all we shifted everything to the speed. So you know, mm-hmm. set of three, two sets of three on the squat, fast, done. Because at that point for an NFL combine, it's not about they never test how strong you are over a period of time. It's you know, shuttle, vertical, broad jump, you know, so everything's speed and explosion. So we kind of, you know, it's, it's just that model where we drop the load and we increase the speed, even though the intensity is huge, but mm-hmm. the load's really low. I mean, we, I run, you know, three or four, you know, 40 yard dashes and we're done for the day. We spend 20 minutes warming up, four minutes running, you know, you know, three, six minutes running and then 20 minutes cooling down. Right. So, so it, in this time, uh, prepping out, I mean, I would say that out of events in um, in America, I mean, that's not like weightlifting related. The combine is probably, and we're talking specifically about the NFL combine. Yeah. Or any, I mean, it's even high school, high school combines are now more prevalent. These, these high school showcases, baseball, do, baseball uh-huh. does combines. Oh, I remember, I remember from my baseball days. Yeah. That's, we trained power. Like, that, that was exclusive when we got up to these showcases. Yeah. I mean, but. Do you, uh, I was just curious, do you have any 
training stories that stick out, either like things that you learned from or incredible feats of power that you recall in, in your time spent with these athletes for the combine for the NFL specifically? Um, yeah, I got, I got two. I had a, um, uh, offensive lineman I was working with and I always do a pretest and just, I don't, I say, you know what, just run at a comfortable run, normal walk. You know, we warm them up. We teach them how to run. We have them run. We do, we do go through all the tests and I get kind of a baseline and I sit him down and I talk to him and say, what, what do you want to get? So I had this offensive lineman who, you know, was, was an all conference offensive lineman and, you know, bench pressed, you know, like 15 reps at 225. And I said, you know, you're going to have to have something's got to pop out to these scouts, right. You know, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're big, you're, but you know, what's, what's going to be, there's got to be an ooh moment. Right. And so I said, let's, let's, you know, you're, you're six foot seven. He was a huge guy, really long arms. Um, his 40 was already, you know, five one. So it was pretty good for his height. And I was like, get out of the stance. I'm really not going to improve that. So I said, let's really focus on your bench press. And in eight weeks of training, he went fit from 15 reps to 32. And, and, (laughs) Um, the majority of it was just training him mentally and his just strength endurance. So we really did a cool thing with him is, um, we, um, reverse banded him and I'm giving away a trade secret here. We reverse banded him with 225. So we never went anything heavier than 225. Cause I was like, you know, we don't care, but got to use that weight. Yeah. We got to get used to that weight. So we started out and I, I think my, you know, as an orange band. So we put an orange band on it. And, you know, it took off like 60 pounds. And I said, let's just, you know, we're doing burnout sets every day. Not every day, but, you know, he's doing sets of <laughs> sets of 30 with yeah. with the, 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 the orange bands. Then we got, you know, he could do a set of 40. And then I, you know, took the orange bands off and I put two little red bands on. And I just kind of did like some like band progression through. Right. And so, you know, every week it was, it was very dynamic. We had this a band assisted, but eventually I reduced it down to the bands where I had a thin little TheraBand on which was only taken off like five pounds and he could, he could, he could do 30 of them pretty easy. We get him hyped up for the, you know, the combine and he goes out and does 32. So it was kind of a mental trick and a, you know, kind of just a muscle endurance trick too, as well. So you, but before I let you go into the story too, if you, if you keep it fresh in your mind, uh, what do you think that, I mean, do you think it is that with some people's weaker exercises that we just kind of mentally get in our ways and can't express either, fast intent or strength due to these like self-imposed limitations? Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, it, it might not be, you know, changing 15 reps, but you know, uh-huh. if you, Oh, I got long arms or I'm not supposed to run fast, you know, or uh, you, know, you kind of get this yeah. idea that you're not designed or specific to doing that task. And it kind of, it hinders you, right. You know, you're like, Oh, then bench presses for guys with big chests and short arms. Well, you know what? Like, you know, you could do it just, and I'm not going to say people who have the biomechanical advantage are always going to be better, but you know, uh-huh. running fast. I, and this goes under my second story was, um, I was training a wide receiver, I actually played for the jets for four years. Um, buddy, um, we trained the combine and I, he, um, I lied to him the whole training process. I just straight lied to him. Um, <laughs> he, he would run his forties and I'd be like, man, four, four, eight, seven, four, eight, five. And really, and really, and really he's, run, and really he's run like a four, six and a four, five. And, and so like, he's like, I gotta get better. I gotta get better. And so he kept pushing himself. And, and, and I knew that if, if day one, I told him he ran a four, five, he would have been like, all right, I'm cool. All right. I can, I can, 
you know, uh-huh. he's like, he'd be complacent. Yeah, and I, so I, I basically was just telling him he, he was horrible. Though. I, you know, I support him. I wasn't like, you're slow. I was like, four, eight, man, we got to, let's go, let's work on the start a little bit. And, you know, and then the, the NFL scouts come by and he runs a four, four, three or something. And he's like, that's the fastest 40 I've run in my life. And I was like, well, you've been running that same speed for the last three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Oh my God, those are great. And, and I, I, you're full of those stories. So we got to make sure to include them yeah. when we can. But, uh, but, uh, no, okay, just but, but for the people who aren't working with with you know NFL guys, you know speed's important, and there's different ways to get to it. And when we talk about speed, especially you know if you're working with track kids or anything, there is there's two there's there's really three um, three phases of of a sprint. There's the start, then there's the build up, and then there's the the maintenance in they're not all trained the same way either. 40 yard dash, you really just have the, the, the start and the buildup with a hundred meter dash of 200 or 400. If you're working with kids that do that, or, you know, baseball players or you know, something that you need more of, of sprint and maintenance, or, you know, some people call it sprint endurance training. That's different than training the explosion coming out of the blocks or the, that middle buildup to max speed. So you gotta think, Speed, speeds. A, I mean, if you get a speed coach, I mean, speed coaches are worth, you know, thousands of dollars. NFL guys pay big money. Um, moms and dads pay big money to have their kids get faster. And you got, when you, when you're training pure speed, pure linear speed, those three domains, can you come, can you get off out of the stance? Can you accelerate to your maximum speed? And then how long can you maintain that? Right. If you get out really fast in your 10 second, your first 10 yard dashes, 1.2 seconds. And then you, you know, it's 1.2, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, you know, you're running a, you know, a slow 40, but if you're 1.2, 1. you know, 1.9.9, you're, you're faster. So, you know, it, there's, there's different phases to look into it. And there's a really cool, um, study they do with the Olympics every year in the world championships. Um, and, um, it's they do they look at the biomechanics of sprinters and they have you know, Hussein Bolt and all those guys you know their start their every you know every second of their race is you know measured and they, you can look at their whole running profile and see the reason why Hussein Bolt's the fastest guy on earth is because he never slows down right he he hits his max speed at sixty meters of the race and he stays that speed for the next forty while everybody else is you know slowing down so you look at many wins by a race by five meters. He didn't win because he got he you know sped up and was still accelerating. He won because he was maintaining the speed and everybody else was slowing down. And I, I think that's and I think that's something he's aware of. And I think that's exactly why I forget which Olympics it was, but when he turned to the U.S. track athlete and started smiling as they were finishing. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. And then he got mad because he missed the world record because he was smiling. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. It's so funny, actually, going back to the bench story and how you could perhaps integrate power with volume. So I'm um, currently training higher volumes as I'm bulking. So, you know, not a lot of like lower intensity stuff, but more like higher volume training. And I've been doing a better job at like really, well, I think I've put a really good emphasis on technique for quite some time now, but I haven't been as aggressive with my weight additions and sometimes I've just been keeping weight the same. And sometimes I make a mistake of just having the eccentric be too slow to where it detracts from total volume and then per- perhaps even total load per session, uh, per exercise. And what I did is like, okay, 
with the bench press, similar to the athlete you mentioned, I have this like hang up of like, I see what Kyle's lifting. I know what my athletes lift. I'm like, why is, um, I feel like my bench is. And you have short arms. And so. I have really short arms. <laughs> and like, I mean, if these triceps. Which means he should be good at any, like, or benching. And I, so I'm like, come on. Like, I, I mean, I can press overhead really well. But I was like, give me something on the bench. So I was like, okay, this cycle, I'm going to really focus on speed. And I, we didn't even have, I, I wanted to talk about this topic with you, but hadn't had it in mind. So I think this fits in nicely. I'm pulling out my, my training here. And my, and of course, you know, RPE increased over the mesocycle. Um, but at 75 kilos, and people, I feel like people are, see, this is how insecure I am about my bench. I feel like people are already judging me. But I went like week Oof. one, I went eight, 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 seven. Are you laughing? Yeah, I am a little bit. Oh, you asshole. <laughs> but I went 75 kilos, eight, eight, seven. And then week two, I went ten eight seven six, and that's with so it went three reps in reserve, two reps in reserve, and on this last week, like RPE, um, you know, like nine ten, I went twelve nine eight seven seven, and that's up from eight eight seven, which I think speaks more to just like gaining momentum and just building confidence with like the same. I mean, it's it's basically the same story except you had like actual gains due to the like super speed or super compensation effect. But, you know, I think sometimes just keeping the load the same and focusing on intent and accumulating more volume is a really way, good way about improving power if it's not really that like high end priority, but you still want to fit it in. Yeah, I think that that's great. I mean, just simply doing more work is, you know, you're generating more opportunity to create power. I mean, and it's just, it feels, it feels like I felt, I felt like I was progressing. I was super happy with it. You know, like it's, you see the reps go up, but people, I think, are so often the ego gets in and the weight's got to go up. Yeah, I, I mean that. And if you if you just look at you know total weight moved, you move more weight, and that's depends. You know, how do you look at what your workout was? If you know doing more weights your goal, then just go and do a single, and you did a heavy weight, and you can say, "Wow, I did a heavy weight." If you want to, you know, improve, doing a simple same load for. This week I did it for six reps. Next week I did it for eight. And the following week I did it for 12. You got stronger. I mean, yeah. day one to day four is different. So, I mean, I think that's one way to look at it that a lot of people, especially with, with egos or don't want to look down is, you know, I I did my weight for 10 and I went up from eight. And that's a great way for, and I and, and especially new, new beginners or, you know, people who haven't trained a lot where you don't want to put 90 plus percent on them. You know, put seventy five percent on them, seventy percent, and say, you know what, let's do, let's do eight this week, and then the next week you did nine. Oh, you got stronger. You did, you know, then ten, and then eleven, twelve. You're getting stronger, but I don't want to load you to the extent of, you know, ninety plus percent, and actually, you know, could be detrimental, could be not not, not the right time, could be psychologically, could be physiologically that it's not good to put ninety percent on somebody, but mm-hmm. doing the same way, or, or for CrossFitters, just like not only from a a um gosh for I, I think for taking that slower uh paced route with load but gradually pushing more volume introduces mm-hmm. like psychological challenge metabolite challenge um muscular endurance i i feel like a crossfitter would benefit tremendously from that approach to volume yeah. and just really emphasizing overloading volume and, and intent of moving well, fast if, if you think in a way that's what an, an amramp is but just oh yeah yeah it just in a you know a individual scale of you know think a day of amrap of bench press compared to you know doing it in six minutes like okay 
today I, as many reps as possible. You do three sets and you do, you know, eight, eight, six. Next week you do nine, eight, seven. Your many reps as possible for three sets went up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a different way. And I think that's with, with weightlifting and I train, I train some just, you know, normal everyday people and I get, I'm bored. I'm bored. Right. Mm. And this is, that's a nice, a good way to just change it up, you know, psychologically is, you know what, like you're bored. How many, how much weight you do this week? Okay. You did, you know, you know, 50 kilos. Well, you did it for six reps. Let's next week, let's try to get seven. Right. And then they have this goal in mind that like weight's not as important, but doing more is and more work is, is causing adaptation and, and changes. Um, one thing I want to bring up, especially since we were talking about the CrossFitters right there, is the power endurance. And I know we talked about uh, in the endurance episode a lot about training the ATP. Is that the same thing? Does that look different? Uh, are the training styles very much the same or kind of – what would that look like if you're training the power endurance, Sobo? So power endurance would be both an, a, a metabolic issue. So you're going to need ATP. You're going to need all the, the you know oxidative enzymes. So you're going to need you're going to need endurance itself, but you're also going to need, especially with strength training, neural drive and you and your recruitment patterns and how your body's preserving muscle during multiple sets. I told my uh, physiology class last week. I believe that if you're doing a set of eight, and rep one and rep eight may look the same. But how your body recruits that muscle fiber or that muscle to contract, those individual muscle fibers are different from, from rep one to rep eight, mm-hmm. right? And you might – so like I always give the example of like you have one, two, three uh, motor units and, and whatever muscle units or muscle fibers they innervate. And rep one, you know, your one muscle, one motor unit handles it. Rep two, that first motor unit still handles it. Rep three, that first motor unit starting to fatigue. So uh, motor unit number two starts to turn on a little bit. So that takes over a little bit. And then by rep four, motor unit one's fried. And so now two's taken the majority of it. And then that one starts to struggle and three takes over. So the ability for your body to, to neurologically adapt to that and figure out the best motor recruitment strategy and the best motor you know, firing pattern and all that is, is way important. I mean, if, you, if your body can train this power and still maintain the same output, but do it longer or do it faster then your body's adapted and i think that that's key for 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 especially crossfitters where there is a there's usually a time domain that you have to get something done in that or you know you have to beat somebody else there's kind of a you're chasing somebody that yeah, that's you, I, I feel like sorry so not to interrupt but that that sounds a lot like what we've spoken about with strength like a lot of the neurological adaptations to strength like uh, motor unit synchronization and rate coding how is this anything like that? I, I feel like yeah, when we've this, spoken this, about this is it's 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 just a whole it's just a subtle twist on instead of now using it to maximize force, it's now used to preserve force over a period of time. That is that's the coolest thing I've learned in months. Because I think when we've always spoken about like volume training and technique, it's just simply been that you're doing more repetitions, which means more opportunity for learning. But if you're telling me that more volume means that you're actually having some neuromuscular adaptations as well, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you got your, 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 you know, and, and they showed, they showed that volume, right? There's a study that just got published two weeks ago that showed that 40% of your load 
done right can improve strength, power, and endurance. 40, 40%. Can improve strength? Strength, power, and endurance. So that, whoa. But, you know, once I, again, I, once again, still not at the level. You know, you're not going to be as strong if you did heavy loads, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you can still get stronger doing 40% loads. Yeah, perhaps limitations there might be for like a really strong person and how much like metabolite you'd have to then take on. Yeah. I mean, I, if you, if you, you know, for 40, you know, at what point <laughs> this is 60 reps at, you know, 40% your max is that, can you even physically do that? Like, yeah. And you may have the strength, you may have the motor program, but you don't have the metabolic capabilities of doing 40 reps. And sure. which, which could be a downfall. If you're a CrossFitter, that could be your downfall. You know, I could, I, you know, you think about, um, what is the, the guy that always destroys all the heavy lifting events, but can't do anything else in the CrossFit games. Um, he finished dead, dead last in, in swimming last year in the little biathlon they had. I'm not sure. Oh, um, oh, oh, um, um, uh, are you talking about Elijah Muhammad? No, no prank, prank, dancer, dancer. Oh, same dancer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean. Strong as heck. I mean, the guy can deadlift a house, but then you make him he's, run. He's, heck, he's heckin' strong. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, and he, he gets the games every year, but then when it comes to those events, he's always like dead last in the endurance. You know, and, and you know, I if I had to train him, I'd be like, we don't need a deadlift anymore. Let's, let's work on you know, 600 pounds. Like, you drop down from the number one deadlifter in the games to the fifth deadlifter, but you move from the worst cardiovascular, you know, endurance person to the fifth that's a whole lot better than you know yeah you're now on the podium yeah so i mean you know so with that you can still get a lot of gains with with volume i think volume is is kind of a it's safer i mean i would i would say that doing 70 percent below is a whole lot safer as far as actual load on the body than doing heavy singles and it's, it's shown through research that it can still elicit strength gains and power gains and all those adaptations we'd see. And that's through this motor recruitment of, per, uh, you know, preservation of force rather than absolute force. So, you know, if I, if I, if I do a one RM, I recruit 10 motor units. I do um, 60% once I recruit three, but if I do 60% 20 times, I may recruit up to five motor units. So if I look at a pure motor unit recruitment standpoint, one RM got me five, 20 reps of 60% got me five, neurologically i see the same kind of adaptations and structurally with the muscle you're not going to see the tendon adaptations some of the connective tissue maybe some sarcomere adaptations but you're still neurologically causing the same kind of results wow and that's the key i think the more i study and the more i look into this and the more i i look into the research and do my own research neurologically is that that's the difference i think there's, there's, there's a, an, a neurologically how we preserve muscle and how that innervates our muscle. And then how we use that to get, you know, the result is, is the big difference between, you know, some of these people. Like, I mean, I guarantee you go to top 10 CrossFitters and they all have pretty good VO2 maxes, but you look at their motor recruitment strategy and, you know, Matt Frazier doesn't fatigue because his body is really good at preserving his muscle force. But you go out and die because you're trying to do a heavy Fran, two of them back to back, and you know he saved his muscle and you you know killed yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, I think all the more reason, especially with that literature, 
to suggest, and we, we joke about it a lot, but it's so true when you see people uh, sustain injury and when they come back, they go for 90% because they're fearful that the gains will go, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, no, 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 just, just chill out. Start with some volume and build on that. Yeah, I mean, when when it's time to go heavy, you go heavy and you you know get a good one RM. But there's no point to being toying around with with that heavy load all the time. I mean, it's just if you're a power lifter, yeah, you got you got to touch some heavy weight. But you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff that says if you're strong, if you're a 500 pound deadlifter and you don't deadlift 500 pounds for six months, but you do, you're still deadlifting and still doing work you can probably come back and hit 500 pounds again, mm-hmm. you know, cause that, that strength is, you know, if the strength's there, you've developed it. The way you're training is kind of different, but it's not like you, all of a sudden your body goes, Oh wait, I have all these sarcomeres and all this connective tissue and I'm not going 500 pounds. Let's get rid of it. No, you're just like, wait, I still am bench pressing. I'm still deadlifting. Let's keep this around. And then, oh wait, now it's time to go heavy again. I know how to do that. Yeah, I feel so, like you know, the biggest challenge there would just be Kyle and I were talking about that recently with our squats because we're, we're both like not as strong squatters just due to either training other variables or having little setbacks with like little ancient pains that kind of come with training that uh, we feel like we can't recreate that effort. But then we were talking about, you know, there's probably a lot of psychological stuff that goes into that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just the fact that when you put the weight, that weight back on your back, it's like, Oh, this is heavy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's, and that, I mean, and that's neurologically. I mean, that's your 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 GTO sensing the tension on your muscles, saying, "Hey, brain, we haven't been this heavy in a while. Maybe we should chill a, a little bit, right?" It's like, it's like the little Dicky song. Where yeah, brain, brain, like brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on All some right. other shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, do you know little Dicky Sobo? No. Yeah, this is when you're a dad, you just there's a lot of the uh, outside I, I, world. I've been watching kids shows, Stinky and Dirty. That's my show right now. Stinky and Dirty, poop everywhere. It's about, it's about oh, a dump truck. It's about a dump truck and uh, a backhoe uh, oh, wow. tractor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one one thing, really quick before we we sign off here is I was going to ask at the end, like, what your favorite. Uh, training methods for this are, but it really just sounds like you would say uh, volume accumulation would be the most effective way. Uh, am sa- I safest way, perhaps, and, and safest way? Am I understanding that for correctly? for power and speed? Uh, uh, for that, well, I guess that was more for the power endurance, the the volume. Yeah, yeah, value, volume accumulation, power endurance. That's that's the, the key for for maintaining that over over time, and that's most sports. That's what you want. And then, how you, about I guess how about for that the power and speed? What are some of your favorite training methods then as well? Um, for for speed, I I love um, towing work, like with track athletes to, to have them tow with a band or pull them just so they can feel how fast that they can move. Hmm. Um, and that's that's you, kind of hot. so. I take you know you can take your your bands that you you know you put on a bench press or a squat or something. You tie a couple of those together put it around somebody's waist and you start out in front of them and you start running. And when they get jerked, they get pulled, they start running, they run faster than they normally would. You get out of the way and let them finish. And it kind of builds up this over speed idea. It's, it's pretty safe. Um, you're not running extremely fast, um, but you're running faster than you normally would. So I like that with sprinters. I like, um, just moving lightweight fast, that intent to move. And that's tough. I mean, for all the listeners out there, if you just go hit the, go to the gym or wherever you're going to train when you listen to this, just say, I'm going to go every, every set I'm going to do 
is going to be with the intent to move fast, your whole workout will be completely different. So your intent in the gym, so I'm going to go as fast as I can, that will, that will um, significantly alter how you feel and the outcome of the workout. Maybe Four. that's why my hip thrusts hurt more than yours hurt you. Because you go so slow. Because I go so fast on the way up. What are you talking about? I go much faster than you. you I go. I think I go much faster than you at the top. Um, quick, quick, quick. Uh, <laughs> uh, with, with the fast thing, you do move. You do mean move as fast as possible in uh, like a c- controlled technique manner, correct? Yeah, yeah. We're not. Yeah, not nothing sloppy. Always everything yeah. is form, form and function. Before you know, don't bounce the bar off your chest and yeah. and do all that craziness. But when it's time to move, move the bar fast. Don't. No, everything's with good form. I don't ever have anybody just say, throw form out the window. That's not good. So form first, but try to move it as fast as you can without, you know, throwing the bar off the wall or something. Ooh, uh, uh, one, one question I have so for my... Did we, did we last... say the power thing though? What? Did we say, did he answer the power there? That's power. Yeah, power okay, is just power the power. Yeah. Okay. So one question I have with my weightlifters, you know, sorry, I keep dropping my headphone. Kyle and I are like our thighs and hips are pressing up against each other because before you insert a joke there, audience, we're just having to share headbuds because of the way our, our audio setup's going with our mic and Sobos. But um, with my weightlifters, and as you know, a lot of weightlifting coaches will kind of enact in their program, is that they'll use um, hang variations to develop power, and then they'll develop, uh, or they'll, develop, they'll use block work to develop technique. And in the hang... I feel like sometimes the eccentric load or strain created in the uh, hang itself, like lowering into the hang, uh, creates almost like this overspeed effect for the concentric, similar to like a stretch shortening cycle, if you know what I mean. So like, yeah, I'll, I, I'll have my. That I'll does. Have my it, I mean. Oh, sorry. I mean, that's the, that's the huge difference between blocks and, and a hang position is you don't get that eccentric in a block. But could you overlook – like so what I'm saying is – so I like to use it and, and I know others do because you, you can lift more from the hang. Is that more just like – is that more of the physics behind weightlifting or is that you can get – uh, like, is it more the physics behind the hang allow for you to snatch or clean more, which builds confidence, or is it the eccentric phasing of it that can help super compensate, so to speak, so that by the time you set up from the ground, that dynamic start has a little bit more umph to it? I, okay, so, I, I don't know what I'm talking about or I'm breaking through on something. No, yeah, yeah, so you're you're talking – you feel you can hang clean more than you can clean from the floor. Yeah, and, and I, I try to get my athletes to be able to do that from a confidence standpoint, but is there actual physiological yeah. transfer? Yeah, that is the, the, what's the active tension in the hamstrings in the back when you stand all the way up with the weight and then you come back down to the hang. All that is, you sh- that's, you know, this, it's, a, it's a shortening cycle on a, on a big scale uh-huh. of, of tightening, active contraction of those muscles and the lengthening you do when you go back down to your knee that you develop that active tension that you don't get from the ground. Because with the ground, you you kind of lose that active tension when you clear the knee with the second scoop or however you want to call it. When you clear the knee, you lose a little bit of that tension because you when you clear the knee, you sit back just a little. And when you sit back a little, you lose that tension. So you actually, you're not using that 
I mean, I've seen there's there's plenty of people who can you know supposedly I I learned it as a power clean. That was the the hang clean was like you know more powerful, and everybody you know called the hang clean the power clean, mm-hmm. and a, a floor from the floor was just a clean. But like a lot of people could hang clean way more than they could pull from the floor because of that active tension yeah. in the posterior chain. But are you asking Zach if that's well, important to the transfer to the clean? Not that you can do more, but I that, think, I think yeah. Like, yeah. So what I'm getting at is like, so not is so I understand that training that alone builds power for those reasons. It, it does that help transfer to the full? In let's just say like I I don't have the eccentric loading on the posterior chain and hamstrings that I would from the hang, but if in my load let's say I do that dynamic start, start. Uh, yeah, if my hips and back are now stronger allegedly that when I involve my dynamic start and I load and now I'm doing my heavy clean from the floor that it is now a stronger pull. Yeah, it it, it is a stronger pull and it's a stronger catch because you overloaded those two oh, yeah, areas with the hang. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think about the catch. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. Let's. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to add in, Sobo? Yeah, or are we? Are we at, I, we've been going for seventy minutes here. These people wanna, are probably. I want to go. Uh, yeah, they probably are. Sleeping. Yeah, probably sleeping. I want to go coach some people now. That's what I got to go do. <laughs> I want to go eat lunch. Yeah, I need lunch first. I'm gonna file my taxes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what are those now? <laughs> um, all right. Thanks for thanks for coming on again, Sobo. Yeah, and uh, it's been it's been too long, but I've been really busy with the with the baby, so I appreciate you guys having me back. Yeah, babies we're, we're, babies are important. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, come back next time. Bye, y'all.